it's been what like 10 years they're doing the miyamoto thing it's like once they release the game if it's bad it'll be bad forever so they're just you know they're still working on it yeah that's would you, just would that. you rather wait 15 years for the game you're expecting or would you rather get it in a year and get a horrible game So the past couple of weeks, I've been feeling nostalgic. Some childhood memories have been coming back to me, partly brought on by the Nintendo Direct, where there were some like direct callbacks, like, oh, we're going to do a Link's Awakening remake. Is that nostalgic for anyone else? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was my first Zelda game. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's a lot of people's first. I was like six years old, and I had no idea what this little top-down, like little 2D figure was. Did you like it at the time when it first came out? It was really hard. I had no idea what the hell I was doing, but it was entertaining. That sounds like a win. Mm -hmm. All right, so we're talking about nostalgia. So some people who are smarter than I have had conversation for a long time over history back and forth about how nostalgia kind of solves a big philosophical problem for individual people, which is the problem of identity. So, you know, like that whole thing about the ship that's in poor condition and it's getting its parts replaced. And then over time, it's like, is it a new ship if all the parts get replaced? That whole thing. But like with people and atoms and every five years you get completely replaced with new atoms. Are you still the same person? So nostalgia is like a way of kind of calming the anxiety of that because it is a direct sensation of recall from something that's really strong. And typically it's attributed to music, which is a lot of what like I have all these examples on here that I want to bring up and almost all of them are musical on some level even if it's a different medium it's got a musical element to it that has a really visceral trigger so maybe I'll, I'll tee it off and talk about some things that I'm nostalgic for and then we can go from there so some stuff from when I was younger that I get immediately nostalgic for if I have brushes with it is when I was seven or eight I was living in New Jersey, which is not at all relevant to what I'm about to share, but I'm just remembering it out loud. And I had this friend, Hassani, who was older than I was, and he had a Super Nintendo, which was really cool. And I would go over and hang out with him sometimes, and one of the things that we would do if we weren't outside is we would play his Super Nintendo. I've never cared for sports. That's just something I don't understand, and it makes me feel a little bit like an alien, but I don't get it. But Hassani loved sports, sports, the sporting And so he had NBA Jam on the Super Nintendo, which is like such a distinct game. It's got some like the art style, the gameplay, the music. It's weird how quickly it all comes back and feels immediately relevant, even though I never think about it. So it's kind of cool. It's kind of freaky. It's it's a weird place in my history with video games. But as you all know, Space Jam was a fairly huge hit when it came out Mm -hmm. and they made a playstation game for it as well Mm. i got the i don't even remember when i got the game but there were special moves and stuff like that that you could use that were based off of what happened in the movie like the really long arm stretch with uh (laughs) michael jordan you could do that in the game and stuff so yeah there's a lot of fun memories associated with that well as you probably know by now if you've been listening to all these episodes i primarily grew up with Nintendo systems and I think we're gonna touch on this later but you know Nintendo has its few strong IPs that they just keep 
releasing games for throughout the years, ever since they started Mario, Zelda, etc., Pokemon. So I think inherently all of the games I play now have a sense of nostalgia tie because it just, it goes back 20 years. It's like, I, I've never played a Nintendo game that I didn't already have fond nostalgic feelings towards. Uh, like Pokemon was my first entry into the video game world, the old Pokemon Yellow. So <laughs> just that tune, like you're, you're saying with music, they do it on purpose. They do it so you get those happy, warm, fuzzy feelings of playing their games all these years. And that's how they keep you hooked into getting their next new one. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I like it. I like those happy, warm, fuzzy, nostalgic feelings. Yeah, so definitely Pokemon, just bring in that classic battle theme. Uh, Mario Kart is another big one. When I was younger, from playing on the 64 with friends in, in middle school. Essentially, the, the f- core of these games have not changed. So, I don't know. It's hard to separate Nintendo, in my mind, and nostalgia. They just go together. And I think they purposely, they want that. Nintendo's all about, you know, childhood and their core audiences for kids. So uh, if they can carry that in older generations and keep it going, then they're sort of set for for life. Well, it totally works on me, specifically with Mario Kart. There's so much. It's not even just the music or the look. It's like even sound effects Mm -hmm. and like really specific animations and stuff. I'm like, it it immediately takes me back. And I feel like they intentionally like hold on to some elements of that when they, they they do like a whole redesign or like you know the really nice looking hd polished versions now they still have like some of those things that are honestly like kind of stilted and kind of archaic but they have the charm to them even the pokemon direct that came out this morning in it one of the game directors he made a point to make it clear everything that you know and love about pokemon is still going to be there it it and I see that a lot when they're announcing new games and long-running series, not just Nintendo, but all these companies. They always make a point to say, we're not going to take away the thing you love about it so much. And what they're always talking about is that thing that makes you nostalgic for that game series. And I think game developers are always scared to like cross that line of like taking away too much. I think they exp- Nintendo experimented with that with Breath of the Wild a little bit uh, this time. It's not a Zelda game. And that's why the debate's so large around it, like what makes a Zelda game. So yeah, I, I think that's interesting. I, they're very, this, it's a market that's very aware of it. Um, and I think has never separated from it. And especially since it's sort of our generation, the generation before us have been growing up with these games. It's, it's not that old of an industry like compared to movies and television. And I think movies and television right now, like they're hopping on the nostalgia train when they can. Enough time has passed to reboot something or remake something, but it's it never leaves the game industry. You almost have a more intimate relationship with some game IPs because you are a proactive participant in the world. You're literally controlling a character, so there's agency there. And that close proximity, it's like when they start to mess with basically what you can do or like where you are or who you are it's not like you know you're sitting back and watching something your distaste of a film it's like ah well i wouldn't have done it like that or like why did they change that i feel like it's a lot more visceral and it's a lot more personal when they Mm -hmm. change stuff in a game like you're saying like the backlash from breath of the wild but then there's like the corollary 
of Odyssey, it was almost like I got the sense of my opinion, I guess, playing the game is they did do cool new stuff and I like the cool new stuff. And I kind of wish they had done more and not played it so close to the chest with doing a kind of like carbon copy of Mario 64, even though it's a great game. I don't know. It's yeah, it's like a, it's a little bit of a contentious thing. Every time these, you know, major IPs put out a game, it's like that is immediately when the announcement comes out, it's like, oh, we're going to do prime four. It's like, how much are you going to mess with my childhood? Yeah. Because that's what's on the line. <laughs> don't do it. Yeah, you're so much more emotionally attached to it than, especially too when it takes so much time to develop these games. Um, and there's so much sort of writing on the line there, but with like a movie, like Spider-Man, yeah, you could be really attached to that character from reading comics when you were a kid, right? But the amount of times they remake the the movies, it, it's just like, okay, if this one flubs or you're not feeling it, well, the chances are in a, another five years they're gonna come out with another one that might do better. Like there's not as much emotional attachment versus that old Spider-Man game, was it Spider-Man 2, where you just, you spent hours swinging around the city and you really just, you got invested in that and you have a lot of good feelings about that. So if this new Spider-Man game doesn't capture that, then uh, capture the feeling of Spider-Man. <laughs> Burn it to the ground. Then yeah, it's, it's a bigger disappointment in my eyes. Sony, are you listening? <laughs> hey, they succeeded. That's true. Yeah. They did right by us. I felt like Spider-Man. Felt like Spider-Man. <laughs> well, so you already brought up kind of like this next piece I want to talk about. And George, maybe get your thoughts on this, but it's kind of like the Marvel Cinematic Universe effect of the more that you participate in the journey of a singular story, even if it has branching paths and different characters and lots of complexity or whatever, if you're following like this all the Mario games. It's like, oh, I played all the Mario games. It's like when they release a new Mario game, you have this wealth of knowledge and you have this wealth of experience going into it. It's rewarding. It is. It's like if you can stick with something through thick and thin, there's a reward, even if there are some rough patches. Is Metroid that way for you a little bit, George? Like when you think about Prime 4, you know all like a ton of the lore. Mm -hmm. So it's like you're going in as like kind of, you're informed already. Yeah. And what if they did something with like, they do something with Chozo Ruins that's completely like undoes the plot of Super Metroid and it's totally non-canon. Would that upset you? Probably or, not. You don't care? Uh, no, I do care. I think at least with where they're kind of going is like the original Metroid Prime was based off of, you know, a previous Metroid game. The other two are not. They're their own standalone branching off into its own story type thing which fourth I think potentially is going to they should pick up where the third one left off so it's so, a continuation of the the prime like branching path yeah yeah but being that it's the first time on the switch and basically skipped the Wii U mm -hmm. and you know Zelda obviously with when it's new iteration came out for the next generation the wii u they did a major revamp for the legend of zelda series whether it's a true legend of zelda game or not you want to uh, fight about it no i don't want to fight about it but i have strong opinions about it <laughs> me too let's fight <laughs> i feel like they're going to do something like that for the fourth one it'll continue it'll have a same story but as far, as far as gameplay and all that kind of stuff there'll be a lot of stuff potentially new that'll be revamped because mario zelda and metroid kirby 
are like the major IPs of Nintendo and Pokemon, I guess. I think whether or not we agree or disagree whether Breath of the Wild breaks what it is to be Zelda. Um, are you saying it does? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's a, like, we will dedicate a <laughs> podcast to that. Uh, but either way, I think Nintendo has definitely chosen at this point to risk that breaking that in some people's minds. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm to like do something new or to like branch out more so they're not as confined yeah to the possibilities well that's kind of how it was for when 3d metroid prime came from the 2d metroid you know from previous generations of both handheld and consoles um i am like yes i am all for it in my mind i have a list of stuff that i think would be potentially cool for them to right now if they like if they were to intentionally break kind of like with Disney with the new stars is kind of disregarding the old canon and starting their new thing, which makes sense. I don't know if I'll be crazy about that. If it's just like a completely revamped, just idea of Metroid and that sort of stuff. And that it's got to have its roots. Well, the title, like the moniker, it wouldn't make sense. Right. It's four. So it's be very essentially misleading. picking off from three. Yeah. 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 A reboot, Agreed. but not a reboot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good examples of, major IPs continuing on and doing something honoring with the task that they've been given. Has anyone played Bioshock Infinite? Yes. Or the Bioshock series? Yes. That's why you were playing earlier today. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, why is he playing that game of all games? I forget in Discord it shows you. <laughs> it <does. laughs> yeah, so Infinite is the third of three in a series and Infinite had two DLC episodes that were released they're pretty awesome and there's more awesome if you're a fan of the first two specifically the first one like let's be real <laughs> because infinite was a little bit of an upset initially it was super awesome and then when you play the game it's like is this a bioshock game though but then they tied it all together in the dlc which was really cool so you get to go back to the world from the first bioshock game and you get to revisit some of your favorite places with the new characters oh. and the new stuff and well, hard nostalgia yeah that sigh right there i just like feel it. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah no the first bioshock game is in the top three of my favorite games of all time especially in terms of storytelling it's uh it's stupid good so yeah i feel like the dlc in for me it bridged the gap of my the little bit that i was upset about them kind of using the bioshock name and doing what they did with infinite is like oh well they did these dlc episodes and they were they're really high quality specifically the second episode anybody have any examples of they they were done right maybe they didn't see it coming but they were done right i'm trying to think because i feel like it happens uh, with the exception of nintendo and a couple ips with playstation there's not a whole lot of games i feel like that are a really long ongoing type of thing where like or a thing of like a game was made X amount of years ago and now they're making another one that's either a completely remastered. I mean, it's happening more now. Mm-hmm. A remastered game or a reboot of the franchise or, you know, that sort of stuff. So I, aside from Nintendo, I can't really think of, you know, games that are, that I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that. And then they revamped or, you know, rebooted or, you know, continued on from like a long time ago. So Far Cry. Mm-hmm. 
you've tracked with Far Cry mostly, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, you're like reading my brain because I was just about to bring up Far Cry. Oh, are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. I haven't. Far Cry was not really a game that I really played. I have not played any of the Far Cry games, but I follow people on social media that have been playing the last two games and I've been loving them. And from what I get from the, what was it? There's Far Cry about the one with the cult in the woods. That's five. Five. And, and then the they, new are, dawn they just the released game. the new dawn. And from what I'm getting is that they're same characters. Uh, it's sort of like, what, nuclear apocalypse? I don't know what happened, but in between there. But then, like, you reemerge in new dawn. And, like, you're seeing remnants from the old game. Mm. And you're meeting people from the old game. I feel like that's, like, this very strange sense of they're trying to build immediate nostalgia into... Like, almost the second game setting is all based on nostalgia from the first one. This is just what I'm getting out of video clips and gifs and stuff, but I I think that's a really clever thing to do. Like, if you're an IP that you don't have a long-running series of games, I mean, Far Cry does, but trying to build that into the setting of your game is very a very cool technique, I think. Horizon Zero Dawn, I had this weird sense of nostalgia because it's set in the future, but where you're exploring is it was a place on earth and the more you explore it the more like you see things that have degraded over time you're like oh this used to be this city or this park or whatever and it's it's like there's been no other horizon games but still just from you in real life knowing what it's like now and then seeing what it's turned into in that game you just it's like creating this sense of false nostalgia Mm -hmm. uh it's it's very interesting well, Ukarina of Time does that in its young Link, adult Link. Yeah. You yeah. get that before and after, yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's immediate, but it's like, oh, look at this place that I used to know that was beautiful, and now it's filled with zombies. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you're failing as a game if your game involves massive leaps of time not doing that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> what about uh, the new Metro? I mean, that has a l- <sighs> little something. A little bit. I didn't invest heavily in the first two games enough to know a ton of the lore and backstory. I mean, they were fun games, don't get me wrong, but I'm actually taking a really long time to finish this new one Um, because it's funny that you put it on the list, but Axiom Verge? That was intentional. Okay, that's what I thought. Uh, Is they've has been sucking a lot of my time. Why is that? uh because you like it 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 yeah it is fun it's hard Mm. so would you say overall your experience with axiom verge would you say that it's a good example of doing like an intentional callback like a nostalgic because it's it borrows real heavy it does borrow real heavy but it's also its own game Mm -hmm. um which is the best it's a 2d metroidvania type you know game that takes bits and pieces from those, you know, series and then either modifies them to fit its purposes or kind of builds upon that. Or it's like, it's basically a game where like when you're playing Metro, it's like if Metroid had this, that would be really great mm. type of thing in some ways and that work for it and other ways that don't work for it. Mm. It's kind of a, it's a weird mix. It's like a 50, it's a catch 22 where it's like they take it in new directions, which is cool. But then there's like this other stuff that comes with it that's like, oh, this is kind of a chore. 
so the traversal of like the idea of you get a power up here and then you go over here and it unlocks new areas and stuff like that and you constantly are searching for that next you know pickup or whatever so that you can go back and go to areas that you haven't gone to before mm-hmm. uh, it takes that to an extreme in axiom uh, verge is like you are immediately bombarded with like gosh it's probably like six power-ups within the first five minutes of the game and it's like, oh, wow, this is really cool. I'm getting all this kind of stuff and, you know, and I'm getting to do, you know, go all these places and I'm, I feel like a badass. But then it kind of, there's a big middle section where you're opening up new areas of the world and that world gets, you know, f- decently large. And so once you get those power-ups, the world starts opening up, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And you're having to go to all these different places all over and the thing that kind of bothers me is on your map you only get two markers that you can place in the game so if you like if you find a place where it's like oh that's not accessible right now i'm gonna put a marker there hmm. and you like find another place like oh that place is inaccessible let me put a marker there and you will find a lot more than just two places that aren't accessible and there's there seems to be no real rhyme or reason as far as where the power-ups are and where they lie they're just kind of all over the place mm-hmm. and there's no like real clear indication of oh i need to go here and get this power up so that they don't go over here and unlock this place and that sort of stuff is just kind of like a mishmash everywhere and it gets really frustrating so are you talking about axiom verge or yeah, metroid axiom verge are you sure you aren't talking about metroid yes really because it sounds like you're talking about metroid i've never really had a whole lot of frustration with Metroid. No, at least with the Prime series. I I don't ter- like Metroid 2, yes. It definitely has that mm-hmm. uh Samus Returns where you don't it's a there's <laughs> obviously it's also a 2D side scroll non-color, you know, thing so it's very hard to discern. The camera's know, way what. too tight on yeah. here. Stupid. Yeah. yeah. Um so there is some of that. It's just I don't know. Mm-hmm. It feel it's definitely taken more to an extreme than that though. Gotcha. So it's kind Just of in terms of the power ups and where everything's laid out mm-hmm. and stuff is kind of annoying. So would you say that almost like by comparing the, like this game has taken the best elements of uh, Metroid and Castlevania? Did you say? Yeah. Um, it's like almost that they would you say they use that as a jumping off point to get players that are interested in those use those nostalgic, good nostalgic feelings to get you into the game. And then from there, it's like, okay, well, they have a lot of other new stuff they've added. Yeah, because the character that you play as is like is not interesting, really, in my opinion. Obviously, I haven't beat the game yet. Oh, um, narratively, it's garbage. Yeah. 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 You played it? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> you guys live together. <laughs> anyway... Yeah, we've been living together for almost a year, and I haven't shared my library with you. <laughs> I'm a very private person. Anyway. Um, I guess I'm trying to bring it back to the nostalgia bit, where I think it's interesting that a lot of like indie games or smaller games that might have a hard time getting a new following are able oh, yeah. to... Oh, yeah. It's, it's definitely on preying that, upon like, that. Where some like Shovel Knight that definitely prey on that, like, oh, it came out. It's like, oh, it's a lot like this one. Mm-hmm. And I see so many startups and like, we're building this game. It's going to feel like the old Zeldas. And it's just like, okay, as long as you fall through, don't just don't be invoking those, these big, beloved 
uh, titles to sell your game. It better be worth it. So it sure makes the marketing a lot easier if you can be like, oh, it's like this. Yeah. yeah. You like that, right? Well, mm-hmm. then buy this. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, you guys know about Mighty Number no. 9. All I know about it is that it didn't get good feedback. No, it did not. <laughs> did you play you it? You want to shed light on that? No, I haven't played it. Okay. So, Without yeah, it. all I know is the secondhand story, which is someone who was involved pretty high level with the technical, the non-business aspects of the early Mega Man games. It's like, hey, well, Capcom hasn't made one in a while, so let me just get in here where there's a huge existing audience and market to them directly with a Kickstarter and be like, hey, you guys like Mega Man? I'm going to make Mega Man. Just give me your money. Mm-hmm. So they they wanted to do 90000 to get it going, and they ended up making $4 million what? from the what? Kickstarter, what? and they crapped out a really terrible <gasps> game. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like a weird gimmick that wasn't like Mega Man. It was like one of the core mechanics that they changed. So talking about nostalgia, like they changed the basic gameplay. It's real sketchy too because apparently the story is they got the $4 million from the Kickstarter and then they also signed a deal to make to do more money with a publisher. So it was like, what are you doing with all this money? Mm-hmm. But obviously money... Having more money is not indicative of how good of a game you make because it doesn't, money dollars doesn't equal talent or effort or mm-hmm. magic. Um, but it, yeah, it's like super disappointing case of someone invoking Mega Man, which a lot that's, of people are married to. That's $4 million in nostalgia feelings right there. That's what that is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The support is there, the fandom is there, and then they just. And they wouldn't be tied with that publisher, I'm sure. They wouldn't have been able to have that contract without that. Four million dollars without that show of support. Uh, oh, because wow. it was like a for sure thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. No, totally. You know, it's okay now because Capcom did do another Mega Man game, Mega Man 11, which is great. And I've already talked about it to death. So it all worked out in the end. But like, that's just such a preying on nostalgia. It's messed up. What about uh, Star Citizen? Mm. Another Kickstarter a long it's still long kickstarting <laughs> still kickstarting <laughs> good lord it's, it's trying to kick it it's so playing what is it on invoking it's invoking what previous games have set up but wanting to do it better and contain it all in one game it's all space exploration it's being able to go down on planets like combining a destiny game where it's like down on you know planet hand to hand or gun to gun combat close quarters <laughs> gun <laughs> combats <laughs> Bang each other. Shooting each other in first person mode. (laughs) Bring your gun to the knife fight, literally. Okay, sorry. And then a spaceship simulator type of deal where I don't, I can't think of a a game that's more heavily reliant on just spaceships. Elite Dangerous, maybe? No Man's Sky, the greatest game ever made. (laughs) But you go down and do stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Anyway. I'm with you. Or what's the, is it Evo? Eve Online. Eve Online. There we go. Um, That's space, right? Yeah. Basically combining all the game, all the sci-fi type stuff that every person who plays those games loves and mashing it all into one game. Had a Kickstarter, did insanely well. I think it was like the best Kickstarter that had at the time, like previously none of them had like it set the new record for like most funds that were or whatever 
um, still in development. It's been what, like 10 years? They're doing the Miyamoto thing. It's like once they release the game, if it's bad, it'll be bad forever. So they're just, you know, they're still working on it. Yeah. That's would you, just would that. you rather wait 15 years for the game you're expecting? Or would you rather get it in a year and get a horrible game? I would rather get the game that I'm expecting, but it's still just like... I want it now. But it's it's a little bit of a weirder, I think. I feel like it's taken way too long to put out... At least, like, maybe do it in chunks. Like, build the... I don't know how the exactly the development process is going for the game or what the roadmap is or Well maybe they saw what No Man's Guy did and they released the half. But I play game and like, I, nope, never mind. <laughs> We're not so releasing I, any chunks. <laughs> <laughs> I played the game three two, three years ago. Mm-hmm. And what you were able to do was extremely basic. You could walk around this little station. There's a little bit of customization, not really any missions. You could get into your ship and like fly around and stuff and that was it. Mm-hmm. And then they had this secondary mode where they weren't connected yet where you could do like a first person shooter type thing, multiplayer. So what, that's S- like all of 2% of the Final Vision? Yeah, mm. super buggy, like incredibly buggy. And I feel like to get to the stage where it is now is like most, a lot of their time has been debugging and all that kind of stuff. So it's just like, this doesn't feel like it's going to really come to fruition. I don't know anything about this game you're talking about, from what, but from what you're describing, that makes me think, oh, they want a game that uh, gets them all the nostalgia feels in a game version for Star Wars. You yeah. want to fight on the ground, get on the ship, find yeah. the ships. You want to have that all space sci-fi. sci-fi fantasy mm-hmm. in game form. You want it yeah. all. You don't want it split into Battlefront. You don't want it split into... On the ground, yeah, gun versus gun. Well, if you think about it, it's like the concept and idea on paper seems really, really, really cool. Yeah. And the actual, if they were to fully deliver on their, you know, ideas and promises, um, would be a really amazing experience. I feel if they did it right. Yeah. But it's just I feel like they bit off way more than either one. They I don't know what it is. I don't know what the breakdown is. One, why it's taken so long to get at the state where it is. Two like implementing all the features that they're wanting, you know, to implement. You know what? I'm going to defend the devs a little bit. The most recent footage I've seen, it actually looks like it's coming together pretty well. Mm. Heard a couple of people talk about it. It it looks awesome. They've developed it pretty far in at this point in terms of features. It's still got a long way to go, but it seems like it's getting there and they're not doing the thing where they just take everyone's money and then do 10% of what they said they were going to do. And then it's like, well, there you go. That's 60 bucks. Thanks. I I think to their credit, the original vision for this thing is so large scale and ambitious that might be a case of biting off more than you can chew in the end, but they're trying to deliver on it. Mm -hmm. It seems like. Yeah. So it's cool. Yeah. That's what, you know, it's funny when you said that about trying to do all the star Wars in one experience, Mm -hmm. it actually made me think of, coder but then i was like wait no that's not really quite it but then i thought of mass effect Mm, yeah which is like that's a really interesting case because bioware did coder stuff with the star wars ip license and then they're like oh we're gonna do our own original quote unquote but it's star wars and it's all the things pretty much it's it's deep rpg in terms of character building 
it's got it's a it has a morality system it has conversations that are actually worth having where you have dialogue where you can actually kind of choose what's going on and it's not just mm. a binary thing it's got deep combat it's got vehicles that sometimes are good sometimes not so much i mean it's it's pretty expansive it's like space sim meets sci-fi epic Mm-hmm. So it's like your ship, you have all the systems that can be you know, yeah. modified or go wrong and you have to repair each individually and all that kind of stuff. You would like but Mass Effect, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, you would. Yeah, well, all working off that, uh, what, the people that would be playing those games, the age they were at, you'd think when they were young, they were sitting in the original Star Wars movie theater, <laughs> starry-eyed. Yeah. They want to be a part of the action. You know, we're kind of being hard on Axiom Verge, but it's an indie game. Mm-hmm. They're trying to do something that Nintendo did 10 years before with, you know, all of their available resources. So the fact that they had any success in that, that's pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. So so a couple, like, quick other things, and then we'll kind of wrap it up. But Ukulele, which I've talked about before, is another example of the Kickstarter deal. I think it was successful, not because the game is flawless or the most amazing gaming experience ever, but the original vision for it was like, hey, did you like Banjo-Kazooie? We're getting a bunch of people that worked on that together, and we're going to do a nostalgia trip that's instead of a bear and a bird, it's a lizard and a bat. Yeah, that that game has heavy nostalgia for a lot of kids. Not kids anymore, but uh, like I never played it. But the amount of friends I have, they're like, "Oh yeah, Banjo Kazooie." So yeah, and they delivered on the nostalgia part of it. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was cool. Um, I see a lot of. I don't know what you guys think about this, but I notice a lot in like the eShop and on promotional materials elsewhere online in some stuff on like broadcasts, commercials, and stuff. Nintendo will use their big IPs to push things that are not directly related to it. It's like, oh, plays RPG games on the eShop. And then you go into like, it's a it's artwork of like retro link and it's super cool. And you're like, oh, what's this? And you click on it and then it's a bunch of indie games that are trash. Nintendo's the master of utilizing nostalgia in, in most everything they touch. I think I just shared a, like a week ago, an ad. It was a clothing ad for their Pokemon line of clothes. Mm-hmm. Basically like office shirts with little imprints of Pokemon printed on them. But the whole ad, like the whole, the way the cinematography and the lighting, it just had this like sense, like this haziness to it almost. This like of a better day, the sun shining perfectly and like having the sort of the jaded older person looking fondly at the young kid with the new Pokemon game and like this whole sequence of just going back and dusting off his old um, TS or whatever. It's just, it's like that whole ad is just to make you feel super nostalgic for Pokemon and buy an adult item that has Pokemon engraved on it or printed on it. (laughs) Uh, I just think that's the ad, nostalgia. That's most of, like, whenever they're trying to target an adult audience, that's what they do. Yeah, if you haven't seen this, you need to go check it out. Mm-hmm. It's actually worth watching. Yeah. It's a pretty good commercial. But, yeah, it is. It's, like, a successful case of them using nostalgia. Mm-hmm. So I also want to get your all's thoughts on both of you have played the new Super Mario series, like the continuation of the 2D. Side-scroller. The new Super Mario Brothers 
Deluxe U revamp. Four switch. Two <laughs> with Luigi and Peachette. Have you played any of these? Nope. On the Wii or the Wii U nope. or the Switch? I you, didn't have You had three Wii consoles, U. sir. I did not have the Wii U. And That's the Wii loss. was a weird thing. We really didn't have a whole lot of virtual Nintendo IPs, except for Mario Kart. Excuse me. Yes, it did. I no, I'm that saying like that we owned, that we as a, my family owned. Oh. But you had a Wii? You just didn't invest in it? Nope. Gotcha. Oh, man. Except for Smash Bros. and Mario Kart were the only ones that we got for the Wii. They were like core Nintendo and Wii Sports, obviously. Obviously. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Oh, never mind. No, definitely. No, they haven't changed. I mean, they'll branch off, and we briefly talked about this on another podcast, but they'll branch off and they'll do their 3D versions, their Mario Kart versions, their space versions, but like they'll still release the classic. The graphics have been updated, but your 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 core mechanics have not changed it's still the side scroller anyone who's played the first one can pick up the newest one and understand what's going on i think it's less nostalgia and more just like hey you like this it's remain the same after all this time it's like it's not like it's something new and it's calling back to that old thing it's just like it is the old thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that's my problem with it. Yeah. I want it to be a new thing that harkens back to the old thing and mm-hmm. inside of it. Yeah. I don't want the same thing. I know that there are people who are younger than me who are experiencing it for the first time mm-hmm. and they get the joy of that. But like, you can still go back and play original Mario games. It's fully accessible to you on the new hardware. Oh, but the graphics are so terrible. And it's <laughs> <laughs> mm. They actually aren't though. For its era. It's, no, no, I don't think it's an eyesore now. If you go back and play like the first three Mario games, they're not an eyesore. No. Not at all. You and I's opinion is not an eyesore, but to some other newer generation, who knows? Like, it's really hard for me to go play older games. Like, you know, I have people say, you're going to like Final Fantasy X, you should go play it. But I'm like, the graphics bother me. Like, I know it's probably a good game, and probably when I if I played it right when it came out, I would have enjoyed it. But like, I'm just a person that I'm so used to the HD, the glossiness. Or if it's something really stylized, like Nintendo likes to do a lot, I'm good with that. But yeah, yeah it bothers me. It's hard. Hmm. <laughs> well, so this makes me think of a couple of games that came out relatively recently in the past like five years or so. Uh, same developer. One of them is called Odalis, The Dark Call, and one of them is called Onikin. And they're two pretty different games. Yeah, I know, exactly. Eyebrows <laughs> have been raised. They do the shitty graphics on purpose for the nostalgia i assume mm-hmm. it's probably on some level less of a technical feat too but that's See, not why they would make that decision they don't get nostalgia points for me like what if i go back and play the original star wars battlefront that gets nostalgia points for me and i'll i can accept it because i played it when it came out with friends and i had a great time and so i'm still able to play it now if i want to go dust off my old playstation 2 or whatever <laughs> so it's like there's that level of acceptance because you already earned your your brownie points with me, so you don't you don't have to earn my respect. You already have it, so mm-hmm. it's it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder for me, like with those games you just talked about, to be asked to accept that level of graphic fidelity and enjoy. If you it. didn't go through that era, exactly. Because hmm. at the time for us, we're all like, "Holy crap! Mm-hmm. This is a freaking amazing game! Look at this!" 
And then like what people grow up with today and then looking back to that era probably don't have the same, yeah. you know, way of looking at it as we do. And game developers know this because that's why we have all of these HD remakes. Like they just released Final Fantasy 12, I believe. They're making seven. Zodiac Age. And yeah, they're remaking seven. And it's like they realize there's a giant new audience that never played these games and they know that either they don't have the machine to go play the old one or they just they can't accept that graphic the old graphics so oh man that bums me out i'm totally on the other side of the fence on this yeah. like i didn't pay, play the first thief until like a couple years ago and i had no problems with the fact that it looks like trash like i understand and i appreciate things that look aesthetically pleasing but also have no issue with going back in time in that way for example, it's just weird to me the categories where people will excuse and allow things to and then make, you know, kind of defend it in a way. It's like Skyrim is a buggy mess. It is awful. You walk into a room and someone is sitting on thin air and there's a cheese wheel on their head. It's like, that's not, that's pretty immersion breaking for anyone. And that's, I'm talking about vanilla. I'm not even getting into mods. It's like happening we in Metro time. Exodus too. Is it? A yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be you'll be fighting. Uh, you'll be in a normal like combat scenario, and then there's somebody who's running away from you, except he's like twenty stories up, and like, <laughs> in the sky. It's like, am I supposed to shoot you from here? Or you can't. It's too hard. Well, uh, that's funny. Watch what I'm about to do, guys. I'm gonna bring it back full circle. I think Nintendo has found the perfect middle ground for both sides. Link's Awakening, guys. It's a new style, but it just, it feels, I think like the tininess, the cuteness of it and the simplified design, even though it's smooth and shiny, just, it makes you, I definitely got nostalgic feelings for the old games from that new style. I love the new style. looks great. Still feel nostalgic. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that? I almost feel, I almost wonder though too, if it feels a little too... I hate to use this word, but kitty. That's for babies. <laughs> um, have you never played a Nintendo game before? <laughs> I know, I know. I'm just saying I feel like it's maybe pushed down a little further than I thought it would. I mean, I'm I'm an animator. I love the the cuter minimalist style. I think chibi's a thing. Yeah. Um I see it that was just my opinion. More of... cute than childish. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, and even if it is more childish looking, I don't think that's the wrong thing. Uh, the bad thing, like I don't think it should turn adults away from enjoying. No. So yeah. that's why you have wonderful Pixar films that are obviously their main audiences for kids, but adults get just as much out of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, I hope uh, this made you think of fondly of some of your old childhood games and think about new ones that you get that same sense and nostalgia from. Yeah, go play it. Go dust off your old machine. <laughs> well, that's all the time we have for this week. See you next time.